in 2016, okay, so this is three years ago at around this time, the University of Texas was offering some film classes. Um, now, when I say film classes, these are classes uh, that, that were for movies, um, kids who, I say kids, college students who aspired to one day move to Los Angeles, move to Atlanta, one of these massive film producing cities and be directors or, or people who really develop films or, or edit them or things like that. And in 2016, Texas uh, was offering their normal film classes. Now, they of course needed some teachers for this and they had some normal teachers for this. But in 2016, they went to famed Texas fan, famed actor Matthew McConaughey and said, Matthew, would you be willing to come teach our film class? Now, if you don't know who Matthew McConaughey is, one, have you watched TV or movies in your life? Um, and I say TV because he was in a Lincoln commercial very recently. Uh, but Matthew McConaughey, um, he's super famous, been in a ton of movies, directed a ton of movies. Um, he's done a lot, and he is a proud Texas fan and Texas graduate um, from there. And Matthew McConaughey was like, sure, whatever, I'll, I'll come take, a, I'll come teach a class. Like, I'll do anything to encourage the next generation of young movie-making minds. And so Matthew McConaughey goes into Texas to teach a fall semester on filmmaking. And I want to ask this question. If you had the opportunity to take uh, this film class, and, and there are a lot of different, like, different classes. So it's the same class, but they'll do different teachers. That's kind of how it um, works in colleges a lot of time. Um, if you had the opportunity to take this class and one of your options was somebody who, who studied film in college um, and got their doctors in it and they've been teaching it in a classroom for 10 years, or Matthew McConaughey, who are you going to choose? The answer is clearly Matthew McConaughey, right? Somebody who's made it, somebody who's done it, somebody who's a superstar. And, and as expected, the class filled uh, very quickly, and, and everyone was writing thank you letters like, man, I'm so glad I got into the class. And they were just saying, man, Matthew McConaughey was just the most incredible teacher. And I think that answer is the clearest answer ever, though, in choosing between the two. You would want to be in the classroom that Matthew McConaughey is teaching in. That's the class that would be your ultimate first choice. Uh, none of the other teachers would even be as close. And I think it's funny, or maybe not funny, I think it's interesting that here we are, we're sitting in this classroom, and for the last two weeks we've gone through this idea of studying prayer. We looked at Jesus the first week, and last week we looked at five ways you could pray. But I think it's interesting that the second somebody's like, man, how do you pray? We're like, hey, let me give you some tips on prayer. Let me give you some things that, that you could do. But what I want us to do, and what I think that, that all of us would say, is that if we had the option to sit there and be like, man, I want to learn how to pray. And we had the option of sitting here in a classroom where Ben McGreevy is teaching, or we had the option to go sit in a classroom where Jesus is teaching. I think that just as clear as it is for Matthew McConaughey, like you would choose Matthew McConaughey as your film teaching class, you would choose Jesus to teach you how to pray. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to go into, essentially, I want us to sit down and have Jesus instruct us on how 
to pray. And one of the most famous passages of Scripture that we know, and one of the most memorized passages of Scripture that there is, and I want us to go through and break it down and really build on this idea of prayer. So what I want us to do, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, like I said, this is going to be a passage of Scripture that you're going to probably know well. It's probably going to be something that, that you have heard before. Um, if, if you if you have even just like been on social media, a lot of times people will post this. Maybe you haven't heard it before, um, but, but uh, this is a very famous passage of Scripture. What I want us to do is I want us to read it together. Um, maybe read it in a way that, that you might have read it before and go through it together. And then I want us to go back through and break it down. We're going to start in Matthew chapter 6, and verse 5. It says, this is Jesus talking. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many works. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil, or deliver us from evil. He finishes the prayer, and then he says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And we'll come back to that last bit in just a minute. That little part of Scripture, and I know that sometimes you guys are like, you say powerful too much. But like if there's anything that deserves for me to be like, that's powerful, is this little part of scripture right here. Is this little part, this part that, that so many of us maybe as children had our, like our parents were like, you have to memorize this, right? Or, or when you're learning to say a prayer, uh, this is the first thing that you go to. And it's like, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And, and I'm sure a lot of us could sit here and go through it. But what we're going to do today is look at, first off, where Jesus was teaching this. He was teaching it. He wasn't just doing it and going through it. He was teaching it to a crowd of people. And so what we have the opportunity to do tonight is sit down and be like, okay, Jesus taught this to a crowd of people. We just read it exactly how Jesus said it back 2,000 years ago. We have the opportunity to sit here and dissect it, just like the people back then could have done, as Jesus is giving us instructions to pray. And what we're going to do is we're going to start out and we're going to work our way through this. Um, he starts in verse 5 and he doesn't go into this prayer yet. He starts out by, I almost feel like he's like, I've seen some things while I've been on earth that are wrong. I just want to hit on those and then I'm going to teach you how to pray. So he starts in verse 5 and he says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites for they love to stand and pray in the synagogue and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room um, and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. 
Jesus comes out of the gate with a strong point. He's coming off this idea in the Sermon on the Mount where he's like, hey, by the way, when you're giving to the needy people, don't let anyone see you do it. Which is totally contrary to their entire culture, where they were in a point where, where it was like, give, and be like, hey, look how great I am, giving all this money. And Jesus comes off and be like, hey, by the way, um, don't be a hypocrite, don't give and let other people see it. Like, give in secret, and don't take credit for it. And then he goes into this idea, and it's almost like it spurs this thought on prayer. And he goes into this idea on prayer, and he starts out this, and he says, by the way, when you pray, don't be a hypocrite. Don't be like the hypocrites. You don't need to have uh, people see you. And he says, um, and, and, and it's not like when he was sitting here teaching this point uh, that people didn't know what, who, who he was talking about. When Jesus sits here and he says, hey, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they like to stand in the synagogues. Everyone who's standing around probably has seen these people. They've seen the people who stand on the street corners and sit there and pray. They've seen the people who are going to stand up in the synagogues and say these, these big prayers. Um, it's not like the people here didn't know exactly who Jesus was talking about. They had watched people pray loudly. Uh, they watched people pray with elegance. Um, they knew that there were those people, and they either thought very highly of them, or and they were like, one day, I want to be that person. Or they were like, yeah, those people are kind of losers, and I feel like they're fake. Everyone knew who they were. The people who made themselves flashy, who made themselves say public prayers just because they wanted to say them. And maybe, maybe those people who got up to say those prayers didn't do it with a bad intention. Maybe, in fact, they got up and they were like, you know what? I get to say a prayer. Other people will be blessed by my prayer. I'm going to get up here and I'm going to say a prayer. And they're going to be very happy in saying this prayer. But nonetheless, Jesus is calling them out and saying, do you realize where their hearts are? Their hearts are not where they need to be. Jesus says, don't be like those people. Don't be a hypocrite. The Greek word that is used in this moment uh, means, like in the original text, an actor under an assumed character. And so Jesus is sitting here and saying, don't be somebody who just says a prayer because it's in their role to look cool. Don't be somebody who, who, who is sitting up and their job is to be like, okay, I'm going to assume this character of somebody who can say a prayer and I'm going to uh, act it out almost like it's a fake person. See, we can say a good public prayer, um, which is great. You can post a prayer, like your daily prayer on social media. That's cool. Uh, you can post like a self-righteous post on um, like daily thoughts on social media, which is great. Like none of this, none of these things are bad. Um, but Jesus sits here and says, where's your heart? Where is your heart? Is your heart at a point where you're acting? Or is your heart truly at a point where your prayer life and, and whatever you're praying is just pouring out where it's entirely to God? Are you just assuming a role as a Christian because it's like, well, you know what? I want people to see me as a Christian and I'm going to do these things because that's where a Christian, like that's what people would do. But like in my personal life, it's just like a thing where I don't care. And I know normally those things don't correlate, but do we ever find ourselves just acting because Jesus would look at us and say don't be that person 
Don't be that person who are who is, is standing on the street corner saying the prayer, but their heart isn't near me because it's fake. They're acting. They're assuming a role that's not anything like themselves. Oh, and by the way, it says they have fully received their reward. And he would tell us, instead of doing that, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father in a way that people will not see. And I know I'm like throwing in a lot of original, uh, original text references, but in the original language, um, the word room here would be like a safe house, uh, a, a storage unit, like a secret compartment. Um, it would be the place like where you would store your treasure. So like if you had gold, it would be like the place you hide, the room you hide it in your house, the room where you know like you pull out the book and like it slides open. That's the type of room it's talking about. This room that literally nobody knows about, that, that nobody knew it existed. It's a time of privacy. And when you pray in that type of privacy, where the only person who knows you are praying is you, it will lead to a reward that is greater than the reward on earth. Jesus moves on in his instruction on prayer. And he says, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. He says, do not heap up uh, empty phrases. He's talking about these ideas of phrases that mean nothing to us, that we have used over and over again, or maybe it's just like extra phrases that, that don't go into our prayer, or maybe it's those things that you just do because it's in prayer. Um, and he's speaking to these people, and what he's communicating to them is that prayer is not about the length of the prayer or the size of the words that we're using or, or anything like that. It's the idea, and the NIV talks about this, um, and, and the original language means it, but this idea of just like babbling on and on and on, which you could say is what I'm doing right now. Um, but the continuation and constant prayer of just word after word in order to make your prayer longer and seem more eloquent. And Jesus calls out the Gentiles and heathens. Um, some of your translations may say heathens, some may say Gentiles. And he calls them out, you know, these people who, who haven't really worshipped the God of heaven. He says, look, you're praying like them. Why would he call out them directly? Because their prayer life was all about these extra words. Was all about trying to be as eloquent as possible because their gods, the ones they were praying to, needed to hear it. The ones that the people were surrounded by in this moment would have seen people praying to the, the Roman gods and, and just heaping up all these words. And Jesus is saying, when you're praying, you're trying to be like them, but that's not who, what God loves in prayer. I think about the prophets of Baal in 1 Kings 18. If you remember the story, Elijah says to the prophets of Baal, they're in this discussion of like which God is real, and Elijah's like, let's do a contest on Mount Carmel. And so he takes them up, and they go onto this mountain, and they build an altar, and it's like, whichever God brings down fire from heaven first and lights the altar on, fire wins the competition, um, and you go first. And so the prophets of Baal are sitting there, and if you remember, they're, they're praying all morning, they're praying, they're singing, they're, they're doing all this dancing and leaping around, they're cutting themselves, but the, the thing is, is, they're using all these words to try to summon Baal. This is the idea of babbling that Jesus is talking about here. The idea of using these words for gods that aren't the true 
God. When we try to impress God, or, or worse, other people around us with, word, with our many words, and our many phrases, we deny that God is a holy yet loving Father. And we deny that He's a powerful Father. Because what we're doing is saying, God, if you're going to work wonders in my life, if you're going to work wonders in the world around me based on my prayer, you need me to use all these words. You need me to say all these exotic, amazing things that are going to get you to do what you need, what, what you need to do. What we could argue is instead, maybe we should look at Ecclesiastes 5, 2, where it says, God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. And Jesus in his lesson on how to pray brings this idea back around all the way from King Solomon's era and says, stay away from babbling and keep it simple. Do it because God that he said, like you guys are doing it because you, and this is sorry, mix my words up there. Um, he brings up this idea of he's like, you're Using all these phrases like the Gentiles do, this is in verse 7, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. And, and he's sitting here saying, like, like, do you feel like because you're going to use a lot of words to God that you are going to be heard? And he's like, no, 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 no. That's not how it works. God hears you when you're basic. God hears you when you're humble. He knows what you need. He doesn't need you to tell him. And it makes me really ask myself, like, in my prayer life, when I am praying, am I somebody who heaps up empty phrases? When I pray, am I praying in a way that's babbling on and on and on? Or are my prayers legitimate prayers where everything I say is straight going to God? Where every word I say means something? Or am I saying phrases, and I don't mean to call out this phrase directly because, um, like, I think it's a, it's a great phrase and, like, something that, that we could use. Uh, but I think about, like, in our prayer, uh, like, in worship services, a lot of times, and you guys will recognize this, um, and like I said, I'm not calling this out and being like, like, this is a sinful thing to do. I just think it's funny because it's, like, something we say. It's like when you hear the phrase, like, please guide, guard, and direct us. You guys know, like, you've heard this phrase. Um, guide, guard, and direct us. It's like, it's like super easy. It flows off the tongue. Um, it's like something that we say. And maybe we mean it, and I certainly hope we do. But how often is it like, like, we've been saying God, guard, and direct us in prayers since like the 60s. And so like our dads heard it, and like we repeat it because our dads say it. And it's like our kids are going to say it because we say it. And it's just this phrase that we use in our prayer life. Um, and I'm not calling that one out in general. Like that might not, might not be a thing. That, that you use in your everyday prayer. But maybe it's a thing where you're sitting there and it's like, man, I use a certain phrase in my prayer every single time because I hear other people do it and it's just a phrase that goes in prayers. These would be things that would be empty babblings that would be talked about. We need to be people that no matter what we do, we don't heap up babbling phrases. And so Jesus gets done with this point and this, this lesson and uh, this part of his sermon. And he says, okay, so you got a few things out of the way. We understand uh, those two things. We got them. Now what I want us to do is give us an example of how to pray. He comes to the model, starting in verse 9. He says, and he gives us an example. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. 
Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. He goes on and says this prayer that for a very long time, sorry about this, um, for a very long time has been looked at as one of the greatest prayers uh, ever to be said. That doesn't work, it's fine. Um, as, as one of the greatest prayers to ever be said. And what I want us to do right now is go through and, and just break it down line by line and try to get a grasp on what it means. It says, our Father in heaven. Now this might seem, might not seem, try to get this up one more time. Um, this might not seem like a big part of this prayer, but I think Jesus is very intentional when he goes up here and he says, and he starts out this prayer with our Father in heaven. Um, the whole point of this is like, okay, you're going to a supreme being, hence the in heaven part. You're going to the supreme being that created the world, that, that made everything in it, that has all the power, all the majesty, everything, yet he's our Father. Um, he points out that he's our Father, that God is our Father. This God who sits in heaven, and, and like I said, he points that out, our Father in heaven, you're so much higher than I am, you're better than I am, you're, you're greater than I am, everything about you, God, is better than I am, but you're my Father, you're in a relationship with me, we have a connection, we get to be together. And the most beautiful thing about this is like up to this point in scripture, we don't see anyone start a prayer with our father. And what Jesus does is he starts out this prayer and probably a lot of people for the first time are hearing this idea of use, referencing God as father. And he's not only making himself the, the son of God, where God is his father, but what he is doing is he's tying everyone who's sitting there in that room and everyone for the rest of 2000 years who chooses to follow him and saying, God is our father. When we go to God in prayer, do we respect him enough to be able to be like, God, my father, I get to claim you as a father. Do we respect him enough to look at ourselves and say, am I a son or a daughter who's ready to call God my father? He then goes on to hallowed be your name. I realize I'm like changing slides right now and I have no PowerPoint, so that's um, incredibly miserable. Um, oh, we're back. Um, sorry for the disruption. Uh, so he goes on. He says, our father in heaven. Um, and then he gets the idea. Maybe we're not back. Who cares? Uh, and then he gets the idea of hallowed be your name. Oh, sweet. Here we go. Um, he gets on to hallowed be your name. Jesus moves on in the prayer and immediately is giving praise to God. It's like, okay, God. You're my father. You're, you're supreme. Oh, by the way, what I'm going to do, and, and maybe, I don't know, are you guys, is anyone, I don't know if you're anyone's taking notes. Um, real quick side note. Matthew McConaughey was teaching your movie class. You'd probably be taking notes. Um, Jesus teach, is teaching your class on how to pray. You might want to write it down. But like later on, I'm going to have a recap, and you can write it all down then if you would like to do that. Um, but this is an interesting thing. Um, so, so, 
He won't acknowledge God and who he is. And then we get to this idea of praising him. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Great is your name. Father, your name is holy. You are set apart. You are the greatest God there is. He points out that God's name is the only one that matters. Yes, he was the one going in prayer. But he's humble enough to sit there and say, My Father... Your name is holy, and your name is set apart. You're so perfect. And it displays this passion for God that he has, this, this understanding that God is holier than everything, that he is greater than everything on this earth. And it makes me wonder, when we pray, do we acknowledge God as being holier than ourselves? Do we acknowledge that God is so much greater than we are by just simply praising his name? By starting out our prayer and saying, Father, we love you, our Father in heaven. And then, okay, we're done with this. And then by saying, our Father in heaven, and then moving on to immediately praise him with everything we have. It allows us to be humble and understand that we are nothing. He continues on to continue in this idea. I'm about to like, keep changing slides. That would have been ignorant of me. Um, he keeps on in this idea uh, of what he's saying. He gets to hallowed, or no, not hallowed your name. That's what he just did. He gets to your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus brings up this idea um, of praying with God's will in mind. Now, this is a, uh, an incredibly interesting idea. Because when you think about our general prayer life, uh, you think about when we go to prayer, it's like, okay, um, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask God for these things for myself, and all those fine things, um, and it's great. And we'll go to God and ask him for things, um, and ask for things for ourselves. But Jesus brings up this idea and says, your kingdom come, I'll be your name, your kingdom come, so your will be done. This idea that, that the will of God is more important than my will. And then he starts this out by saying, uh, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Bringing up this idea that, okay, heaven is the greatest, heaven is the holiest. If earth could be like heaven, it would be fantastic. Um, let's pray for the kingdom of, of God to be on earth as powerful as it is in heaven. Because sometimes we look at ourselves and we can say, do we want earth to be like heaven? And I think an immediate reaction would be like, of course we want earth to be like heaven. But is our reaction and our prayer life and who we are going to say that? And something that we have to be so careful of while we are going through this idea of um, while we are going through this idea of, of learning how to pray and learning how to pray uh, learning how to pray and really focusing on this idea of maybe refocusing our prayers when he says your will be done the question is how do we say your will be done because how easy for it is it for us to sit there and be like, okay, um, what I'm going to do is, is I'm going to sit here and say, okay, uh, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, because like literally nothing else could happen because you're God and you're all powerful and so it's just whatever, you do you, and that have that attitude versus this idea of our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, 
your kingdom come, your will, Father, be done, because your will is the perfect will. When we ask God for his will to be done, how are we asking it? I can remember back and, uh, and I'm trying to decide. Okay, so I can remember back in the, several years ago when I was in a former relationship. Um, and I remember at a, I was at a point, I was like, do I stay in the relationship? Get out of the relationship. And I remember going to God and it was almost like, like and I remember when I was not wanting to get out of the re- relationship, I was sort of like, all right, Father, your will be done. And I was that like, like, you're going to control this situation, but I'd rather not your will, but my will be done here. And I remember having that mindset and, and just having this, this like prayer of like almost resentment of like, okay, your will is going to be done in this, which is kind of annoying because I want a certain thing. And I remember asking God for his will to be a certain thing. And as I went on and as I started, it was interesting the second that I started praying for God's will to be done as God's will, the imp- like, not the information, like the decision started to become so much clearer onto what needed to happen. It automatically turned from like, okay, Father, this is what I want for my will, and it was constant, uh, constant um, strife from God, let your will be done because your will is best to constant peace. And it led to something that needed to happen. Do we accept God's will? And in prayer, when we go to God and say, Lord, I want your will to be done. Lord, your will is powerful, and I know your will is perfect. That's what I want more than anything else. It shows humility towards God. Give us this day our daily bread is the next thing that Jesus says it's this little thing that he brings up it's just a daily provision people in the olden days were like hey um that can't be right because this prayer is like too holy to just be talking about bread but it's talking about daily provisions um it's this idea of praying for something small and i want to ask when is the last time we prayed for the little things in life along with the big things but the little things in life we would just sit there and ask god uh when you know, can I have joy on my heart today? Lord, can I have wisdom? Lord, lead me to your words. Lord, please grant me with tomorrow. The point of this is, is, hey, God cares about the little things, and if we ask him for it, he will grant them to us. He then goes on and says, and forgive our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. A lot of times when we think of debt, it's this idea of like, oh no, I'm broke, I'm about to die because I have no money. In this situation, what Jesus is saying is is this idea of debt is this, hey, I've sinned. And he's sitting there requesting this plea um, of us uh, to God saying, Lord, please forgive me of all my sins. Father, I know I've sinned. I know I've messed up. Lord, please forgive me from these things. Please forgive me my debts. But notice he doesn't stop there. Notice he keeps on going. And he says, um, he, he like avoids this way of, of being two-faced in a way and of contradicting himself at other points. He says, okay, Lord, please forgive my debts as also we have forgiven our debtors. And so he's sitting here saying, oh, by the way, pray for forgiveness. Do it. But when you pray for forgiveness, be sure to pray for forgiveness expecting what you have forgiven. 
Pray for forgiveness and say, Lord, please forgive me as I have forgiven. Because when you say that prayer as please forgive me as I have forgiven, it suddenly takes your life into a whole different switch. Because if, if you sit there and you ask God, Lord, please forgive me for my sins, it's, it's easy to do that. When you say, Lord, please forgive me as I have forgiven, it, it forces you to understand that, hey, where am I in my life? Have I forgiven people in my life from the things that they've wronged me? Because if I expect God, and I know we've talked about this in classes past, uh, I think last April, um, a little bit when we were studying James. But when we, when we go into prayer, do we understand that, hey, God's going to forgive us if we have forgiven other people. And then he ends with, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is a tough one. Because when is the last time you woke up while you were laying in bed and said, Lord, please help me. Please lead me from temptation today. And I think the interesting thing about this is that Jesus says, please lead me from temptation. It's not, Lord, please keep the temptation away from me. It's, Lord, please lead me away from temptation. And the interesting thing about getting led somewhere is that you don't have to follow you don't have to follow that person. And Jesus is saying, hey, ask God to lead you not into temptation. And are you going to follow God in his path? Because what Jesus is saying is if you pray for leading me not into temptation, you're deciding, hey, if I follow God today, if I have his words, it's going to help me stay away from temptation. We don't have a lot of time left. And I hope you've really enjoyed it, it, this study on prayer. And like today, sitting here breaking down this lesson, um, to me this is cool. And maybe you didn't think it was as cool as I thought it was. Uh, if I had, if we had time, um, I'd give you a list that Jesus talks about. I'll put it on Instagram later, um, and I probably will text it out too, maybe in the morning. Um, what I would love for us to do is look at the things that Jesus says in this passage and just put them into our daily prayer life. If we take these things and just pray them in these like simple concepts, maybe not this prayer, because if we say this prayer every single day, then eventually it'll become just words that we're babbling on. But if we take these ideas and these concepts and put them into our prayer life, you have a three minute prayer, which isn't long, but it is meaningful effective. It's time for our prayers to be true communications with God.